Good evening, and a happy Saturday to everybody. This is White Ashflies with Colin Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Tonight, episode four of Lincoln Letters. As we rush towards the convention and Lincoln's eventual nomination. You can follow White Ashflies on SoundCloud, Spotify, and on Twitter at ColinMahoney15. And now, episode four of Lincoln Letters on White Ashflies. To Mark W. Delahaye, Springfield, Illinois, March 16, 1860. Dear Delahaye, I have just returned from the East. Before leaving, I received your letter of February 6th, and on my return I find those of the 17th and 19th, with General Lane's note enclosed in one of them. I sincerely wish you could be elected one of the first senators for Kansas, but how to help you I do not know. If it were permissible for me to interfere, I am not personally acquainted with a single member of your legislature. If my known friendship for you could be of any advantage, that friendship was abundantly manifested by me last December while in Kansas. If any member had written me, as you say some have Trumbull, I would very readily answer him. I shall write Trumbull on the subject at this city. I understood, while in Kansas, that the state legislature will not meet until the state is admitted. Was that the right understanding? As to your kind wishes for myself, allow me to say I cannot enter the ring on the money basis. First, because in the main it is wrong. And secondly, I have not and cannot get the money. I say in the main the use of money is wrong, but for certain objects in a political contest, the use of some is both right and indispensable. With me, as with yourself, this long struggle has been one of great pecuniary loss. I now distinctly say this. If you shall be appointed a delegate to Chicago, I will furnish $100 to bear the expenses of the trip. Present my respects to General Lane, and say to him I shall be pleased to hear from him at any time. Your friend as ever. P.S. I have not yet taken the newspaper slip to the journal. I shall do that tomorrow, and then send you the paper as requested. To Samuel Galloway, Chicago, March 24, 1860. Honorable Samuel Galloway, My dear sir, I am here attending a trial in court. Before leaving home, I received your kind letter of the 15th. Of course, I am gratified to know I have friends in Ohio who are disposed to give me the highest evidence of their friendship and confidence. Mr. Parrott of the legislature had written me to the same effect. If I have any chance, it consists mainly in the fact that the whole opposition would vote for me if nominated. I don't mean to include the pro-slavery opposition of the South, of course. My name is new in the field, and I suppose I am not the first choice of a very great many. Our policy, then, is to give no offense to others. Leave them in a mood to come to us, 
if they shall be compelled to give up their first love. This, too, is dealing justly with all, and leaving us in a mood to support heartily whoever shall be nominated. I believe I have once before told you that I especially wish to do no ungenerous thing towards Governor Chase, because he gave us his sympathy in 1858 when scarcely any other distinguished man did. Whatever you may do for me, consistently with these suggestions, will be appreciated and gratefully remembered. Please write me again. Yours very truly. To Richard M. Corwine, Springfield, Illinois, April 6, 1860. Honorable R. M. Corwine. My dear sir, Reaching home yesterday after an absence of more than two weeks, I found your letter of the 24th of March. Remembering that when not a very great man begins to be mentioned for a very great position, his head is very likely to be a little turned, I concluded I am not the fittest person to answer the questions you ask. Making due allowance for this, I think Mr. Seward is the very best candidate we could have for the north of Illinois, and the very worst for the south of it. The estimate of Governor Chase here is neither better nor worse than that of Seward, except that he is a newer man. They are regarded as being almost the same, seniority giving Seward the inside track. Mr. Bates, I think, would be the best man for the south of our state, and the worst for the north of it. If Judge McLean was fifteen or even ten years younger, I think he would be stronger than either in our state, taken as a whole. But his great age and the recollection of the deaths of Harrison and Taylor have so far prevented his being much spoken of here. I really believe we can carry the state for either of them, or for anyone who may be nominated, but doubtless it would be easier to do it with some than with others. I feel myself disqualified to speak of myself in this matter. I feel this letter will be of little value to you, but I can make it no better under the circumstances. Let it be strictly confidential, not that there is anything really objectionable in it, but because it might be misconstrued. Yours very truly. To Cornelius F. McNeil, Springfield, Illinois, April 6th, 1860. C. F. McNeil, Esquire. Dear Sir, Reaching home yesterday, I found yours of the 23rd March, enclosing a slip from the Middleport Press. It is not true that I ever charged anything for political speech in my life, but this much is true. Last October, I was requested, by letter, to deliver some sort of speech in Mr. Beecher's church in Brooklyn, $200 being offered in the first letter. I wrote that I could do it in February, provided they would take a political speech, if I could find time to get up no other. They agreed, and subsequently I informed them the speech would have to be a political one. When I reached New York, I, for the first, learned that the place was changed to Cooper Institute. I made the speech and left for New Hampshire, where I have a son at school, neither asking for pay nor having any offered me. Three days after, a check for $200 was sent to me, at New Hampshire, 
and I took it, and did not know it was wrong. My understanding now is, though I knew nothing of it at the time, that they did charge for admittance at the Cooper Institute, and that they took in more than twice $200. I have made this explanation to you as a friend, but I wish no explanation made to our enemies. What they want is a squabble and a fuss, and that they can have if we explain, and that they cannot have if we don't. When I returned through New York from New England, I was told by the gentleman who sent me the check that a drunken vagabond in the club, having learned something about the $200, made the exhibition out of which the Herald manufactured the article quoted by the press of your town. My judgment is, and therefore my request is, that you give no denial and no explanations. Thanking you for your kind interest in this matter, I remain yours truly. To Lyman Trumbull, Springfield, April 29, 1860. Honorable L. Trumbull, My dear sir, Yours of the 24th was duly received, and I have postponed answering it, hoping by the result at Charleston to know who is to lead our adversaries before writing. But Charleston hangs fire, and I wait no longer. As you request, I will be entirely frank. The taste is in my mouth a little, and this, no doubt, disqualifies me to some extent to form correct opinions. You may confidently rely, however, that by no advice or consent of mine shall my pretensions be pressed to the point of endangering our common cause. Now, as to my opinions about the chances of others in Illinois. I think neither Seward nor Bates can carry Illinois if Douglas shall be on the track, and that either of them can if he shall not be. I rather think McLean could carry it with Douglas on or off. In other words, I think McLean is stronger in Illinois, taking all sections of it, than either Seward or Bates. And I think Seward the weakest of the three. I hear no objection to McLean except his age, but that objection seems to occur to everyone, and it is possible it might leave him no stronger than the others. By the way, if we should nominate him, how would we save to ourselves the chance of filling his vacancy in the court? Have him hold on up to the moment of his inauguration? Would that course be no drawback upon us in the canvas? Recurring to Illinois, we want something here quite as much as, and which is harder to get than, the electoral vote, the legislature. And it is exactly in this point that Seward's nomination would be hard upon us. Suppose he should gain us a thousand votes in Winnebago. It would not compensate for the loss of fifty in Edgar. A word now for your own special benefit. You better write no letters which can possibly be distorted into opposition or quasi-opposition to me. There are men on the constant watch for such things out of which to prejudice my peculiar friends against you. While I have no more suspicion of you than I have of my best friend living, I am kept in a constant struggle against suggestions of this sort. I have hesitated some to write this paragraph, 
lest you should suspect I do it for my own benefit and not for yours. But on reflection I conclude you will not suspect me. Let no eye but your own see this, not that there is anything wrong or even ungenerous in it, but it would be misconstrued. Your friend as ever. To Richard M. Corwine, Springfield, Illinois, May 2nd, 1860. Private. Honorable R. M. Corwine. Dear Sir, Yours of the 30th Ultimate is just received. After what you have said, it is perhaps proper I should post you, so far as I am able, as to the lay of the land. First, then, I think the Illinois delegation will be unanimous for me at the start, and no other delegation will. A few individuals in other delegations would like to go for me at the start, but may be restrained by their colleagues. It is represented to me by men who ought to know that the whole of Indiana might not be difficult to get. You know how it is in Ohio. I am certainly not the first choice there, and yet I have not heard that anyone makes any positive objection to me. It is just so everywhere so far as I can perceive. Everywhere, except in Illinois and possibly Indiana, one or another is preferred to me, but there is no positive objection. This is the ground as it now appears. I believe you personally know C.M. Allen of Vincennes, Iowa. He is a delegate and has notified me that the entire Iowa delegation will be in Chicago the same day you name, Saturday the 12th. My friends Jesse K. Du Bois, our auditor, and Judge David Davis will probably be there ready to confer with friends from other states. Let me hear from you again when anything occurs. Yours very truly. To Edward Wallace, Springfield, Illinois, May 12, 1860. Dr. Edward Wallace. My dear sir, your brother, Dr. W.S. Wallace, shows me a letter of yours, in which you request him to inquire if you may use a letter of mine to you, in which something is said upon the tariff question. I do not precisely remember what I did say in that letter, but I presume I said nothing substantially different from what I shall say now. In the days of Henry Clay, I was a Henry Clay tariff man, and my views have undergone no material change upon that subject. I now think the tariff question ought not to be agitated in the Chicago Convention, but that all should be satisfied on that point, with a presidential candidate whose antecedents give assurance that he would neither seek to force a tariff law by executive influence, nor yet to arrest a reasonable one by a veto or otherwise. Just such a candidate I desire shall be put in nomination. I really have no objection to these views being publicly known, but I do wish to thrust no letter before the public now upon any subject. Save me from the appearance of obtrusion, and I do not care who sees this, or my former letter. Yours very truly. To George Ashman, Springfield, Illinois, May 23, 1860. Honorable George Ashman, 
President of the Republican National Convention. Sir, I accept the nomination tendered me by the convention over which you presided, and of which I am formally apprised in the letter of yourself and others, acting as a committee of the convention for that purpose. The Declaration of Principles and Sentiments, which accompanies your letter, meets my approval, and it shall be my care not to violate or disregard it in any part. Imploring the assistance of divine providence, and with due regard to the views and feelings of all who were represented in the convention, to the rights of all the states and territories and people of the nation, to the inviolability of the Constitution, and the perpetual union, harmony, and prosperity of all, I am most happy to cooperate for the practical success of the principles declared by the Convention. Your obliged friend and fellow citizen. To Charles C. Knott, Springfield, Illinois, May 31, 1860. Charles C. Knott, Esquire. My dear sir, yours of the 23rd, accompanied by a copy of the speech delivered by me at the Cooper Institute, and upon which you have made some notes for emendations, was received some days ago. Of course, I would not object to, but would be pleased, rather, with a more perfect edition of that speech. I did not preserve memoranda of my investigations, and I could not now re-examine and make notes without an expenditure of time which I cannot bestow upon it. Some of your notes I do not understand. So far as it is intended merely to improve in grammar and elegance of composition, I am quite agreed. But I do not wish the sense changed or modified to a hair's breadth. And you, not having studied the particular points so closely as I have, cannot be quite sure that you do not change the sense when you do not intend it. For instance, in a note at bottom of first page, you propose to substitute Democrats for Douglas. But what I am saying there is true of Douglas, and is not true of Democrats generally, so that the proposed substitution would be a very considerable blunder. Your proposed insertion of residences, though it would do little or no harm, is not at all necessary to the sense I was trying to convey. On page 5, your proposed grammatical change would certainly do no harm. The impudently absurd I stick to. The striking out he and inserting we turns the sense exactly wrong. The striking out upon it leaves the sense too general and incomplete. The sense is, act as they acted upon that question, not as they acted generally. After considering your proposed changes on page 7, I do not think them material, but I am willing to defer to you in relation to them. On page 9, striking out to us is probably right. The word lawyers I wish retained. The word courts struck out twice, I wish reduced to court and retained. Court as a collection more properly governs the plural have as I understand. The preceding court, in the latter case, must also be retained. The words quite 
as and or on the same page, I wish retained. The italicizing and quotation marking I have no objection to. As to the note at bottom, I do not think any too much is admitted. What you propose on page 11 is right. I return your copy of the speech, together with one printed here, under my own hasty supervising. That at New York was printed without any supervision by me. If you conclude to publish a new edition, allow me to see the proof sheets. And now, thanking you for your very complimentary letter, and your interest for me generally, I subscribe myself. Your friend and servant.